but I think that every single restaurant that I have ever worked on, I learned something different. Um, some of them are teaching me <clears throat> how not to be rude and mean to people. Um, some of them are teaching me um, how to create food a certain way. Hello, friends, and welcome to Do I Need School to Be? A podcast about creative education. In this show, me, Alex, is going to sit down with people in the creative field to ask them about how they learn their trade and how they see education going in the future. We're all different and we all learn different ways. So naturally, we're all going to take different paths. If you want to know about how your favorite creatives or others in the creative field got to where they are today, keep listening and let's have some fun together. Welcome to episode four. Yes, we're in episode four. It feels so weird. I think because I dream about this podcast for so long, now that I'm in episode four, it feels real. Although it was always real, but now it feels more real. I'm ranting. I'm going to stop myself. So this on today's episode, uh, I talked to Michelle Fox, who is a chef. Yes, we also have chefs on this podcast. Creativity can take so many shapes and forms. And I think sometimes we think it's only visual creatives, but no. Cre making amazing dishes. Yeah, that's also creativity. So I got in touch with Michelle Fox, who is an amazing person. She's a sustainable chef. Are we staying on the topic of sustainability from next week? Maybe. But yeah, here we are now, and you'll enjoy a great conversation about her journey, how she got to where she is, and who she is as a teacher, and all the effort she's making to not only change her own work, but change her industry. I know, pretty impressive. So enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Chef. How are you today? Good. How are you? I am very good. My allergies are going crazy. I am thinking about jumping out the window, but I'm here with you, so I'm great. I'm glad you're not jumping out the window. I'm glad I'm here to, to stick with you. <laughs> yes, it's, it's going to be a good time. We're going to have fun. So for the audience that is listening to... Do I need school to be? Who are you and what do you do? Okay, so I am a sustainable chef. Um, and a regenerative farmer, which is a pretty rare um, job, right? Like I didn't chose just one that makes barely any money, that gets barely recognized. I decided to choose two of them, um, so which give me um, a very keen way of seeing the food system and how things are working for us and not working for us. Wow. So a regenerative farmer. Regenerative farmer. Can you elaborate elaborate a little bit on that? Because I'm like you said, it's a it's a new term. I've never heard it before, yeah. and I would love to learn more. Yeah. So um, regenerative farming means that um, instead of taking um, everything from the soil, uh, all the nutrients, and you know, someday becoming a dust bowl, uh, which happens a lot, um, <clears throat> we use permaculture. Um, we use Korean natural farming. So lots of you know, animal poop that goes back into the dirt. Um, we use a lot of algae. Um, I use, I'm a teacher of Korean natural farming, uh, which literally harvests the power um, of your surroundings to feed the plants back um, with ferments and, um, you know, things like that. Like, for, for example, um, if you look at a forest, right, um, there is not a man there or a woman there that is like sprinkling nitrogen or sprinkling, you know, any kind of nutrients. The forest knows how to do that um, on itself. Um, and it uses fermentation. 
um, and also uh, rotting the 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 process of rotting. Um, so it rots, it, it turns into to goo. The plants eat it again, and so that's that's uh, what we do here a lot. Um, we take things like rice. I make a box full of like half cooked rice, and I put about a thousand feet up. Um, from where my plants are and I let all the microorganisms of the surrounding area to come and eat the rice reproduce and then that is what I mix with dirt and um and grains and then they eat that more and then I feed that back into the plants that makes sense so it's like yeah so it's like creating recreating what happens in nature yes 100% that's awesome and how and you're also a chef how how did you get how did you get into this path like what what put you in it yeah so um i'm brazilian right originally from brazil i left brazil when i was 22 years old i'm now 41 so i'm almost being the same amount of time here in the us as i've been in brazil um my grandmother raised my my mother passed away in a car accident when i was four so i was raised by my grandmother my maternal grandmother um she was an amazing cook Uh, she was also uh, what we call it a generational uh, herbalist, meaning that she learned from her grandmother, they learned from her grandmother. And so every day she would be like, okay, you guys had dark leaves this Tuesday. So next, you know, tomorrow we should have more carrots because you're missing some carrots. So she always kind of focused all the way around on what, you know, what we needed to eat the next day to make sure the nutrition was complete. Um, she run after us, which we will run from her as far as we could, um, to drink like cod liver oil and like crazy things like that. Um, you know, and so that's the omega three, uh, later on I went to find out it wasn't just because she was crazy mean. It was just because we needed that. Um, so, um, about seven years old is when I started learning how to cook with her. Um, <clears throat> the reason was, was because she was grooming me to become an excellent wife uh coming from brazil is a very chauvinistic country so um i learned how to cook rebelled became a, a skateboarder and a chef instead of i'm also a wife now but at the time i was like you know what like i can just be whatever i want and you know so yeah that's where all my my culinary uh journey started um there is this debate that I've seen online between self-taught chefs and formally trained chefs and apparently there is I'm, I'm not in the lord knows that I don't cook I survive I I, I survive with the things that I cook um where, where are you where, what's what's your stance on self-taught versus formal training as a chef well You know, I was self-taught in the fact that I went to um, a course um, in Rio de Janeiro, um, which I thought it was for culinary um, to become a chef. Later on, went to find out again, here I am being groomed to be a wife. It was kind of like home ed in a way. Um, and so I learned a lot of the techniques there. Um, and so like for me, I think it's like person by person's journey. Um, you have the natural chef. And then you have the, the thought, like, learned in school to be a chef. I think that there is a, there's a big difference, but at the same time, it's the same thing. So if you learn how to be, I don't know, an artist, right? You go to 
art school, you learn everything from them, but you don't spend every day drawing and painting or whatever your medium is. Um, you're literally going to know what the book says, but you're not going to know who you are as an artist. So I deeply urge anyone that's getting um, to be classically trained, you know, to adventure out there, take jobs in kitchens and really learn what is to be in that line um, and literally go to war is what we say, you know, in the kitchen, because by the time you're done with a service, you're like, oh, my God, I feel like I just went to war. So learning those things and discovering what your passion is, because, you know, reinventing, you know, reusing French technique every day, all day. Uh, there are so many chefs out there and there is a space for them. But I think what we were really looking for in this food revolution that's happening is the new age of, of understanding how what food does for our body. Um, you know, changing the idea that, you know, you just eat it because you just enjoy it. But also understanding that every time you put that fork in your mouth, you have one, that responsibility for how far that, that food traveled to get to your mouth. Um, and two is, are those empty calories? Are those, is that food have no nutrients whatsoever? Is your body going to expel it really quickly right after? Um, so for me, I call myself a sustainable chef. Um, and the reason is, is because I pay attention um, on not just how I can make it delicious. Like you, you can throw a pound of butter and, you know, filet mignon in there and do a French take technique. And you're going to get a very delicious meal um, that will, because of all that butter, will make you all sluggish and weird after. Um, so when I cook, I cook to make you feel good after. Like I want to, after you eat my food, you're like, oh my God, I just feel amazing. And that's, that's kind of my focus. And also um, the focus of paying attention. Like, you know, I say this on many podcasts by now. Uh, I love the raspberry um connotation which is you know if you are one of those people that are as a chef or a consumer and you're eating for example <clears throat> raspberries in the winter uh that raspberry pod probably traveled two three four thousand miles by truck by boat to get to your mouth it started as a green fruit that got all sprayed up and then got sprayed again so then it become red so you're literally paying the price of that raspberry but you're not getting the benefits of it so that's what i like to bring attention to and that's the chef side and the regenerative farmer side where where did that come from did you learn it from somebody or has your education on that side been purely through your own research and your own experience yeah so so my it's funny it's a it's a long story and i'll, I'll keep it short so my grandmother um had beautiful citrus, you know, in Brazil, beautiful citrus, beautiful roses. I mean, her garden was amazing. Um, <clears throat> and she used coffee grounds, eggshells, and banana peels to feed the plants. Um, and so I grew up with that just thinking it was normal. And um, <clears throat> when, let me see, I was chefing in San Francisco, um, kind of was like, man, I can't stand this like hamster wheel, like, I could make 60, 80 grand in San Francisco. And by the end of the year, I had nothing to show for. And so, and the plates were getting smaller, more expensive. The butter was pouring in, you know? And so I was like, you know what? Like, this is not what I want to do. I'm kind of losing my passion for cooking. So then I moved to Humboldt, California, uh, which is 
self-entitled capital of the uh, cannabis capital of the world um, and became a cannabis farmer for eight years. So um, in the cannabis industry, there's a lot of like, you just go to the store, you buy a big jug of nitrogen and then you dump it on your plants and you call it organic. Um, and then, you know, it came all the way from the Netherlands, for example. So you trucked all the way there. And so I was like, man, there's gotta be a way. So remember reminded myself of my grandmother um, and started researching. And that's when I found Korean natural farming, um, started using Korean natural farming to grow cannabis. Um, and then two years ago, um, my, my husband, which is, I just got married about a year and a half ago. Um, his father was, uh, got sick and was by himself here on 90 acres in Eastern Washington. We're literally 20 minutes from the Canadian border. And so because I left Brazil, I wasn't able to take care of my grandmother, which is passed now. And so I jumped on that opportunity. Hey, let's go take care of your father. Um, so here I am, you know, 90 acres, not a good restaurant, miles, like probably a good hundred miles from me. Um, and so I started putting all that knowledge, um, that I had into turning this farm, um, into a regenerative, uh, Pacific Northwest herb, you know, raven. And so, so I kind of got dumped in back into the farming, uh, because of family. Uh, and so today <clears throat> I do a lot of pop-ups. I go around the world. I was just in Tulum. Uh, Mexico cooking for 40 people in a jungle and so I get to leave and cook and then I come back and here I am on 90 acres which is a lot of work um, and then I got I just got my certification so now I am a certified teacher of Korean natural farming um, and so I'm bringing that uh, out there in the world because it's not very well known uh, to people so they can understand how to use you know food waste and how to harness um, the power of nature to to grow more food for us. That's amazing. And I have to say, I personally love your Instagram. I oh, love you. the food photography that you do. Like I'm a huge fan of garlic. I, we comment, I commented on that black garlic uh, picture and yeah. I found some black garlic in the health food store near my house. Right. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. And I just learned that you can, um, so I roasted, I, I, got, I got some fresh garlic, I roasted it. And now I am adding it to everything that I eat. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I love garlic. It's my favorite thing in the world. It's, um, oh, it's so good. It's it. it um, I've always like for my grandmother, I always remember that she would put a garlic nail polish with garlic on it. It was like a, a translucent, sorry, a translucent coat and then the color and then again, the translucent coat. And I didn't understand why. And then she was like, no, it's really good for you. It's, um, it helps your nails. And then I started doing it. And I hated that my nails became like colored from the nail polish. And now they're perfect. I, and those, that, that wisdom from grandmothers, it's yeah. so valuable. And sometimes we forget it. We forget that there's, there was a time back when, way back when, when things were, were not as accessible as they are now. People had to just figure it out. Well, also, so, and, you know, the times where, sorry to interrupt, the times where um, everything wasn't provided to you in a bottle, that you had to figure it out how to make things uh, for you, how to be healthy. Um, I used to think that my, my grandma was like, you know, a witch, which she was Catholic. Um, she would do things like, for example, I love this one where 
if you had a fever, and if you ever have a fever, you can try this. Um, you take the white, uh, the egg whites, about four or five egg whites, and you beat them up into a fluff, and then you put it on a towel, and you put it on your foot, and then the fever goes away. It doesn't cure what the fever has done, you know, why you having a fever, but it definitely brings it down. And I used to think like, oh my God, that is magic. And then as a chef, I learned that egg whites cook at such a low temperature that literally what's happening is the fever is cooking the eggs, therefore coming away from the body. Wow. You know, my, my grandmother on my, on my mom's side, she always uh, makes us this potion. I remember also thinking, oh my God, what is she giving me? It was this Every time she came to see us, she would make us this uh, radish concoction. It was a very thick syrup and it would cure uh, because she also has allergies like me. I got my allergies from her. It would clear up your allergies in a second. Well, it looks like you have your answer to feel better today. <laughs> yeah, but I don't have radishes. Uh, I have to figure it out. I'm, I'm borderline going to like just start inhaling whatever brew I can find on the internet. Um, so when going back to my to the topic of the podcast, um, sounds like your grandmother was a key teacher for you. Yes. But you're also learning from nature. The also like sounds like Korean from is also how does nature already do it? How does the forest regenerate itself? And that has had a huge effect on you. Were there any other teachers that you had that were like, this is a teacher that made an impression on me good or bad or have you had any teachers telling you that you're going the completely wrong route yeah no I don't never had that happen um but I think that every single restaurant that I have ever worked on I learned something different um some of them are teaching me <clears throat> how not to be rude and mean to people um some of them were teaching me um how to create food a certain way some of them were teaching me how to you know um to price food and make sure that when you're putting food in your restaurant, you know you're not losing money or you're not charging too much. Um, so yeah, I think that I had many teachers um, during my journey as a chef uh, to become who I am. And uh, recently, uh, <clears throat> Jason Kitterman, which uh, is who gave me the course for uh, Korean natural farming, I will consider him a teacher for sure. Um, he's the one that gave me my certification. Uh, but yeah, I think that instead of looking for that one teacher in your life, I think that everyone, like your family, your friends, your neighbors, um, everywhere you're working, even if it's not a place you like super excited to work on, they're always teaching you something. And if you can take that lesson and become better, that's when we are, you know, actually living. I love that. And, um, I, every time I, I say the word teacher on this podcast, I mean it in the loosest sense of the word because anything can be a teacher. You can learn from an experience. And I've said this a couple of times with other people that um, I do yoga. I've been doing yoga for six years. And I really love the concept that the yoga teacher, when they're teaching, they're also a student because they're learning from the students. They're learning about different bodies. They're learning about different styles of teaching. They're learning what works for some people, what doesn't work for others. And would you say, do you think or would you agree that the teacher title is situational or interchangeable? 100%. I think that that idea of like the teacher high above you and you're right below and, and they're just looking down and pointing their fingers and being, this is how you do it. You know, that's kind of an old model. 
<clears throat> that, you know, with internet, um, Google is the biggest teacher of everyone these days. I mean, back in the day, you'd be like, oh, you know, there's 12 countries in blah, blah, blah. And somebody would be like, I don't think so. And somebody would be like, yeah, I think so. But there's, we have to go find an encyclopedia to go try to find the answer for it. These days, you know, you just um, say, hey, Google, what is this? And it'll be like, here's 300 pages of information that you can look through. So um, I think that that dynamic is changing. Um, I have an 18-year-old son and an 8-year-old stepdaughter. Um, and I, I really wish that the public system and schools will started to pay attention that by looking of because every person is different thank god right because if we're all the same this world wouldn't work so to really paying attention some kids don't want to learn how to uh, write critically right but they are amazing in math and then should they do more math and less of the other one because that's what they're focused on but these days we have one single curriculum that goes for everyone and a lot of the kids get kind of disinterested because they're like oh i don't care about whatever and so but they're forcing me to do it so they kind of just alienate themselves if we could push it towards what they want to do and and focusing on that since they're younger imagine what would happen by the time you know an eight-year-old like robin where she's 18 and she had focus towards math which is her thing all the way across since she was young imagine where she would be in 10 years you know, instead of like in a way wasting time uh, on things that she's not interested on. Yeah, and I think that especially applies to creative education in when you're learning how to, for example, des design or cook, it's providing a path. And I think I think that's the role of the teacher. The teacher is a guide. It's a guide to help you find your fascinations. And I, I had this discussion with um, one of my cousins who has a four-year-old I want to say four well I, I don't I honestly I've never met the kid but he has a step kid and he's talking about no um like kids today they're so like into technology and he's just spends his time on YouTube and I'm like it's your job then to find out what fascinates him what he likes and then put as much of it in front of him and be like if he right. likes animals take them to the zoo show him right. a book about animals show him animal videos and also, you know, spending the time thinking like, oh, back in the day we used to and we didn't have, you know, this is what our parents kind of did to us in a way when we started, you know, listening to CDs and walking around with this thing that was playing music on our ear, um, things like that. So instead of being like, oh, this is not how we used to do it, I think that us, the elder, uh, older people um, need to understand and embrace that the new generation has this whole completely different universe uh, that they're a part of and kind of uh, being supportive instead of being judgmental. I love that. And now that we're in with this mentality, my question to you would be you as a teacher. So now you have this certification to start teaching this revolutionary technique for farming. How do you see yourself? Like, how did you make the decision to certify yourself to become a teacher was this something you always wanted to do? Did you see yourself one day teaching or were you just so fascinated by the topic you wanted to spread the word? How, how did you get into this teaching path? Yeah, so I wanted to get the certification because um, a few reasons. But one of the reasons is I'm supposed to be in Africa right now. Um, but because I have a Brazilian passport, I have, you know, 
an American green card for almost 20 years, but I still am a Brazilian citizen. Um, Nigeria, which is where I was going to enter through, uh, put a ban on Brazilian passports because of COVID. And I don't seem to be able to explain to the embassy, hey, I'm in America. I haven't been in Brazil in three years. Let me in. And the whole plan there, um, other, amongst many other plans, was to bring Korean natural farming um, to Africa and help women, fe uh, female farmers, um, learn that. And by being a teacher, I'm able to then certify them so then they could teach somebody else. Um, I'm also a, a mentor to a girl named Faith um, in Nigeria. <clears throat> she has, she's an amazing girl. She's 22. Um, and she is going for agriculture school, college, uh, University of Benin. Um, but also, you know how it is in Africa, people have to like triple work to be able to even survive. So she created a little business called Tasty Treats. So she serves healthy um, smoothies and sandwiches to her colleagues and, and friends in the university. So I've been uh, mentoring her from the very beginning from like creating menus and, and Instagram and uh, everything you can think of. Her logo, um, I raised, uh, I think it was about $300 um, to help her buy all the things, which $300 go a long way up there, um, to help her buy uh, equipment and things like that. Um, and she's doing really well. Her little business, Tasty Treats, is doing super well. So I love to help, and I do focus on women only because – um, women has such a little amount of people that are interested on in teaching them because we for so long supposed to just be wives, your mom's supposed to teach you that, whatever, right? So I'm always focusing on women, um, female farmers, for example, like on Clubhouse, I have a club there since I think it was January 8th um, of this year called Female Farmers Unite. Um, we have over a thousand uh, members there. Um, and we do a lot of rooms talking about like becoming, you know, a better entrepreneur, doing better online, um, things like that. So uh, my whole focus is women around the world. That's that's great. That's amazing. So I, I love that you're I, with COVID now that you mentioned COVID and so many people decided they were going to become teachers because they wanted to put a course online. They they saw it as a business opportunity. And I think it's so interesting that for you, it came from a place of, I want to help people. And the way that I can do it is by teaching them. I, especially, and I've been in a few conversations about this, how many times when we, people go to third world countries, like, uh, like Latin America, like uh, many parts of Asia, like Africa, they think it's just about pouring money in and like money is going to fix the problems. And many times it's not that many times it's just giving them the tools, giving them the tools to help themselves. Right. And that's exactly what you're doing. You're giving them the tools. That that's that's wonderful. Um, and then we were talking about the future of education, and I see that from the fact that you are turning the, like certifying these women and turning them into teachers themselves to spread the word and create this ripple effect. And you were also talking about how te like technology and how the curriculums should be more flexible and adapt to what people need or what their interests are. Do you think that will continue to happen in the future, or where do you see that education going? Yeah, that's from what here I on out. Yeah, I, that's where I see education going. Hopefully, is going more towards um, what are you interested on, other than one single curriculum to every child uh, in America or in the world. Um, really 
catering to who you are as a person and kind of uplifting you towards that, which you don't even know it's a goal yet, but someday it will become a goal because, you know, as children, we're not thinking about paying bills, but someday <laughs> you're going to have to start thinking about that. Um, but, you know, just a catering uh, to individuals instead of catering to uh, a single model that is used on everyone. And I, I love that. I totally agree. And I think something else that should be taught is curiosity, like encouraging people to be. I, my, my personal belief is that when you put this rigid system on them, so these are the points that you need to learn. This is the lesson. This is the syllabus. You're not letting them have space to be curious to to follow their tangents like getting to these squiggly lines because life is not a straight line life takes nope. a lot of twists and turns and i think something that should be taught in creative in creative profe in creative education and all of other education is to be curious is that not everything needs to have a set goal sometimes you just try something and prove that you don't like it maybe you don't like it right. and that's also fine it's just the goal should be the process i read this book by Seth Godin is called The Practice and he's like the process should be it it's not about how you, where you're going because the goal is going to keep moving it's like the horizon is going to keep moving forward right and never stop you should exactly you should just keep moving forward which would you say is your next little goal like in the next step for you as a teacher like what do you want to teach do you want to become the world renowned teacher or do you want to become the have the program be world or not? How, what do you see the goal for a teacher today? Yeah, so I, you know, I haven't thought of that uh, too strongly. Um, I am part of a group of many people out there that is trying to change the way we see food in the world. Um, part of this food revolution um, after COVID kind of, you know, the systems all broke down. Um, food wasn't getting to where it's supposed to. Uh, you know, food was rotten everywhere. Um, so my main focus today is to find the like-minded people that are ready to change the way we see food, our responsibility on food, um, and through that being able to, to teach others that are not a part of, you know, the ones that are taking charge but wanted to be like, hey, how can I help? Like I, I draw super well and I'll be like, okay, you can make a flyer for this or, you know, like kind of bringing people, whoever wants to be a part of it bringing them in, not necessarily like I teach you, but more like here, come and be a part of the revolution with us. That's incredible. Just a teacher is not only a person who teaches, also the guide and the people, the person that puts things together. Yeah. Like, the and, culture, you know, yeah. Helping people hone their skills and be like, Hey, this is how I'm, I'm going to show you the path that you can take to be a part of this. And as long as you want to, I, th that's incredible. I love that. Well, we have made it to the end. I have all my questions. We have made it to the end. Is there anything you would like to plug right now or to tell the audience about? Uh, yeah, so I have a couple of projects, um, which you can all find it on my website, which is the center of it, which is www.michelle2l2e'sthefox.com. Um, I also have a podcast called Craft Food Podcast. Uh, craft and Food Together um, podcast where I interview people from all over the world um, that are looking towards that mission of, you know, undoing what 70 years of industrialization have done to our food systems. Um, actually, I just had Heather uh, on my last episode that just came out a few days ago, and uh, she's creating bioplastic out of hemp. 
um, which is fully compostable. Like you can throw those in your compost bin and it will just decompose. Um, so I'm always looking for people that are making change and, you know, bringing information so you can listen to and be like, you know what? Like maybe I should use less plastic. Maybe I don't need to buy every food that is wrapped in plastic every time. Maybe I can cook my own tomato sauce or whatever, you know? So, um, and also I have another project, um, that is on the food game, uh, changer lab for the UN, which is called lift hubs. Um, lift hubs are, um, let's say in a small form, it would be a building that is in the middle of a conglomerate of small to medium farms. Um, and in that building, you have a commercial kitchen, uh, a canning processing facility and out, uh, you know, uh, what's to say, um, an out uh, production. So what happens is because until the day farmers can only produce ingredients, the farmers are never going to make it. The farmers, the old farmers are dying. The new farmers don't want to be farmers, the new people, new young people. Um, so once we give them the power to create products instead of just ingredients, that's when we start um, giving them a way to make money all year long and things like that. Those buildings would be a cooperative that would be owned by all the farmers in the area. So yeah, that's one of my big projects right there. I love me a good cooperative. I think yeah. it's, uh, I think yeah. it's a, I think it's a it's it's a really good business model that people are not. It's it's capitalism at its best, to be honest. Right. Right. Um, that that's amazing. So all this information will be definitely in the show notes. And yes, thank you so much for this interview. And I hope you have a great and lovely day. Yeah, same to you. Thank you. So how do you feel about that? <laughs> this was a great episode and a really fun conversation. I feel very honored that I got to talk deeper with Michelle about how she got to where she is and all the amazing work that she's doing right now. I think many times a lot of us feel kind of paralyzed when thinking about the problems in the world and we think there's nothing I can do. But if nothing else, Michelle proves that there's always something you can do in your industry because only you have those insights and become a teacher and what the power of teaching is and how it can really change lives. I hope you are as inspired to this conversation as I was. And I hope that you will go into Michelle's social media, into her website and her podcast. Yes, she also has a podcast that is linked in the description down below that will teach you more about what she does, why she does it and how you can change your industry from the inside by following her example. Thank you, dear listener, for joining me again today on this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. You'll find links to my guests' information, like their website, their Instagram, to the, maybe the recommendations they made on the show notes, as well as a couple links that you may use if you want to support us in any way. But we appreciate anything you can do. If you give us a review, that would be great. If you share it with your friends, that would be awesome. And you'll find also links to our social media accounts if you want to just get in touch and give us your feedback. It is amazing to be able to make the show and to be in your ears. Stay curious, you'll keep learning, and to talk again next week. Bye.